You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to Trek FM's local watering hole, coming at you live from, well, the pit of trash that is Gotham City. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, well, almost every single week, there are weeks when, you know, things happen, but Christy Morris, welcome back. Hey, I am back and excited. Well, I don't want to say excited. Um, interested to have this discussion with you and our guest today. Yeah, you're. I'm, I'm noticing um, a, like a nice uh, 70s, 80s film grain <laughs> on your video. So it's looking really good. Um, yeah. And I saw you pulled up in the, you know, 84 Pinto. So nice. Yeah. Uh, without my cell phone, uh, there's only pay phones here and answering machines. Mm, yeah. Mm, I love phones with cords. It's one of the reasons that Battlestar Galacta I always enjoyed. So, <laughs> uh, And if you uh, have been listening, folks, you have heard the dulcet tones of the one and only John Mills, who is back with us. Yes. And probably, I don't know, am I the only one old enough to remember when phones were stuck to the wall and stuff like that oh no. you be quiet okay i'm just <laughs> i'm just quiet. i'm just wondering because my dad was a phone company man and so whenever i see the curly q cords if you wanted mm-hmm. to get my dad he we never had those cords were never twisted in our house he would not tolerate that because he started out mm-hmm. like in the cherry pickers like working on telephone poles and like wiring mm-hmm. phones and houses and stuff like that if he ever found one of those phones that had the curly q thing and it was like twisted up he couldn't help himself he'd walk over and he'd straighten it out so it was all correct so there you go. There's a window That's into my cute. soul. Yeah. We used to have mm-hmm. one of those in the kitchen because the phone was on the wall yeah. and it was a really long one. So my mom could walk around the kitchen while she's doing things, mm-hmm. you know? So, and of course, you know, you get clotheslined by it when you're running through. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to be talking about Joker, which is just released there from. Uh, Warner Brothers Pictures, and uh, before we do that, just a quick reminder, find us wherever you get your podcasts, but uh, well, Apple has upgraded everything on their Macs now, so hit us up on Apple Podcasts, either on your iOS device or on your uh, Mac OS device, and give us a star rating review, let people know what you think of the show, help us, help people find the show. In fact, right now, did you know that we are number 23, the 602 Club, in the film reviews section of all time? Uh, so if you're looking in that film review second, you'll see the 602 Club there at number 23. So that comes from people like you giving us reviews. So do that. Help the show grow. Um, we, you can find us or, you know, all over the place. We're on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're on Trek.FM. Uh, then you can also uh, send us an email at Trek.FM slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club, and that comes to Christy and I. And we have a listeners-only discussion group on Facebook where you can talk to listeners from all over the country. Go to Facebook, type Babel into the search field, you'll find us, or 
If you're on track.fm looking in at any of our show pages, you will see a button that says discussion, and that will lead you into the group as well. And uh, really want to say thank you to our social producers here, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyoming Millett, and Daniel Noah for supporting the show each and every week. Uh, look, there's so much happening on this network because there's so many new Star Trek shows coming out, and then there's the 602 Club and everything else we do here. So if you like what we do, it's really expensive to do this. In all honesty, there's no way we can do this. And we really could use your support. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. Become part of our team. There are some great contribution levels you can give at. But honestly, every little bit helps. And those four gentlemen have been supporting this network and this show for a very long time. So we just want to say thank you to them. And again, patreon.com slash trekfm is the place where you can support this network and the show. Now, what did you guys think about this? We're going to dive right in because I feel like we have way too much to talk about probably in the allotted time that we'll we'll actually talk about this movie. There's so much happening. But I wanted to ask at the beginning here with this idea of this, you know, it's an it's an origin of evil story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like um and so coming into this, what did you guys think of a joke or origin story movie? I definitely wanted something more than I feel like we had been getting recently from uh, the Joker and the live action movies. Um, I, I've always been a fan in particular in comics and stories of um, the whole group of Batman and his villains and um, Catwoman in particular is my favorite comic book character. Um, so this is kind of the world that I love the most when it comes to superhero or villain stories. Um, so I was interested, but kind of had been put off, especially by the Jared Leto version. Um, and you know, the nineties Batman movies, Joker, even though I love Jack Nicholson, it was a little over the top sometimes. So, uh, I wasn't thrilled about this, but I was curious. Um, and then I feel like there were a lot of um, pleasant surprises, at least for me, in the way that they ended up telling the story. But I would say it's a an interesting movie, not a enjoyable, um, happy ending kind of way movie. It's a, not meant to have a happy ending. It's a tragedy. So I liked it for what it was. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I mean, technically the 1989 Batman movie is a Joker origin story on its own, um, you know, with Nicholson even getting top billing. But I think you can see, I was excited for this specifically because of the fact that from the get-go, the advertising campaign seemed to embrace the killing joke, sort of Joker uh, but also move away from it in an interesting new direction in that this seemed uh, from the ad, ad campaign to be truly committed to the idea of setting this in a real world, not a a reality-like world of, you know, I'll even go so far as to say The Dark Knight, but especially like the Marvel movies, they they occur in sort of like a reality-adjacent reality, whereas this definitely seemed to be going for setting a character study in a world that did exist at some point and uh, in some ways still exists. And so I was excited uh, from the beginning. I think I started, you know, I saw the first trailer and I said, oh, goodness, this looks this looks like something. And um, 
stayed with it through the, I, you know, I, I made an extra effort to see this on its Thursday night preview night. Uh, when I, I unexpectedly got a shot at it. I didn't think I was going to get to see it even opening weekend. And then suddenly the clouds parted and I just, I jumped on it in, in a flash and went for it. Well, I'm glad you were able to get through the super rats, uh, to get there. Yes. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you because, you know, and, and honestly, but both of you said, you know, uh, Chrissy, you know, and, and John's well aware of this. I wasn't a huge fan of 89 Batman. You know, it's not my favorite. Um, and I didn't have a problem when them kind of reimagining Joker for the Suicide Squad movie, but I felt like he was misused in the sense that I felt like he should have been maybe their main villain in that movie, which would have really helped him as a character. Uh, and that, and then of course, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker is, is phenomenal, you know? So when they were talking about basically doing this one shot movie idea and, and basically almost like, you know, this is DC's like black label films where it's like, they're not connected with anything else. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're, we're going to try something really different. Um, John, like you, I was really excited about the idea of kind of, going in a killing joke area and yet not just straight up doing the killing joke but you know just that's just kind of a basic inspiration for it as well as a lot of the comics but but more than that it seems as though the inspiration were those psychological thrillers and uh character studies of the 70s Mm -hmm. uh and so and and the idea of doing that with joker seemed perfect you know like where better to put a, a Joker type of movie in it and, and his kind of coming to villainy story. Uh, and so, you know, for me then, you know, what they do with telling this story of the, the clown prince of Gotham, I, I just, I felt like it is unique. And in the world of quote unquote comic book movies, I don't even think I could call this a comic book movie, John. I think you're absolutely right. This feels like just a movie that mm-hmm. happens to have a comic book character in it. And what was fascinating, though, to me was that the way that they told the story, I could still see a Batman existing in this universe. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, and, and and so to me, this is a. I'll just give it away right up front. This is a very successful telling of the story of. Um, the you know the origin of joke, and it's it's not like a complete origin story in the sense that we follow him from childhood and all that kind of stuff. Like, no, this is this is very much about a person who is already formed that we see begin to. I I don't even know if you could call it unravel, but unfurl before us who he's going to be because. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we'll get into, but it, it, you, it does that. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. It it makes yeah. it makes sense if I if I can jump in. Like one of the things I've really thought about a lot since seeing the movie is what's fascinating about it to me is, and I'm borrowing a sentiment from the the guy I went to go see the movie with, and I, because I think he's absolutely right. Most movies you start out on the outside and then you move in closer to the character. And you get to know them as you go through, whereas this movie seems to flip that and you start right up with him. And then as the story progresses, you draw further and further back as you're you're, you know, 
in horror, you know, you start in sympathy and then you move toward uh, repulsion because of the things that he starts doing. But I think paired with that, that's so interesting, is that Arthur obviously is a person who is failed by the system, by those around him, by all of these things that these, you know, multiple factors that go into creating Joker, as it were. But his tics and his mannerisms become more in control as his way of dealing with it is indulging what we would call the evil way to deal with a, a, a thing. And as his, he seems to garner this calmer, more, um, more controlled physicality as the movie goes on. And I thought that was such an interesting approach to it because I love Heath Ledger's Joker. I would struggle to find anybody who doesn't. Um, and he's a terrific, terrific performer. God rest him. And uh, this doesn't take anything away from that. But it's interesting to sort of compare and contrast them because that Joker still exists in a very operatic uh, sort of setting, whereas this is such an intimate, singular character piece that, you know, this character defines the world that you see and the way that it functions. And it's really amazing in that regard. I completely agree with what you're saying as well, John, and that it it does seem like the whole movie really is also a commentary on how important mental health is and how the system and people in general need to work together to work on that problem um, because it does feel so unfortunate when his counselor says they've cut our funding. This is our last visit because you see how much he needs this help. He needs mm -hmm. possibly the medication or whatever, you know, some way to get through life with the issues that he has. Um, and I like though, that there's this aspect of, although this is supposedly like an origin story, that it also is still very unclear exactly what his origins are, um, as far as birth to adulthood. Um, and that, uh, you know, you guys, you guys were both referencing Killing Joke, um, that the, the storylines back then said that he liked his past to be multiple choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, absolutely. That like he he has his reasons, but he also just loves chaos. And I I think that one of the most fascinating things is that the movie allows a lot of room for interpretation on certain things, but also leaves these little. Um, these little visual cues that are really something like when, when you see the blurring of reality as he projects himself into his mother's session with the mental health worker in Arkham Asylum is mm -hmm. the point at which the film starts to play around with you start, suddenly start realizing he's imagining this relationship that he has with his neighbor and these sorts of things going through and sort of blending and melding them along. And that whole question, especially of his paternity, um, I thought was really fascinating because I considered it answered because when he was looking at an old picture of his mother, uh, on the back of it, it said, love that smile. And then the initials TW uh, mm -hmm. after it. 
And it was great because that's a, there's still room there. You know, did she make the story up or is that a piece of evidence to go on? And you can see how, in addition to the system failing and the, you know, the, the mental health resources that aren't offered to him that should be and, and the terrible bits of encouragement from, you know, people in his life, you know, the guy that gives him the gun and he's telling him, ah, you know, screw it, you know, take it, take it back out on them. Like that's a pivotal moment right there. And these, it's these little tiny Mm -hmm. moments that, that build up into, you know, the, the, the big mountain of trouble that, that happens. You know, just as you guys are talking, I feel like it's a, it's a really good time for us to dive into just talk talking about Arthur as a character who, at the same time, you know, you guys are mentioning this whole idea of like where he comes from. And I think the thing I love the most about the movie is that, you know, when he's looking through the documents, you know, he sees that he doesn't he he doesn't even have a name, you know, when he's adopted, um, you know, and his parents are unknown so that everything about him is still completely unknown you know so it's it's what i loved is that i felt like the movie doesn't nail down who the joker is mm-hmm. you know who this guy is because he doesn't ever really truly know in fact his best it, well his best self but you know his his most together self might actually be the joker right uh, which is the scariest part about the whole movie because much like uh, – um, I and I don't – I'm going to butcher this because um, I don't speak Russian, but Rodian uh, I think is uh, from Crime and Punishment. Uh, you know, he is someone who kills somebody, right, and thinks that it's going to solve his problems. He kills his landlady, steals – you know, he thinks he's going to be okay – um, and yet he's racked with confusion and guilt and paranoia and distrust after what he's done. And yet what Arthur finds is this evil clarity, you know, like at, at the, that those first guys he kills ever a, a, after that, what we get is somebody who slowly progresses into being quote unquote, less and less crazy and yet more and more evil. And I thought that was such a nice twist of kind of taking that um, that classic uh, story from, you know, from a very classic book and kind of turning it on its head and using that to tell the origin of the Joker. I just thought it fit perfectly with this guy because like you said, John, you start off wanting to give the guy a hug, right? Yep. In fact, I even think you texted me that. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> like, did. I wanted to give the guy a hug, yeah. and then I'm repulsed by him in the end because of who he becomes. And it just, it's. I think the way that they do it is 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 just really to start off with empathy and become the revulsion is is just exactly where you want to be with a character like the Joker. Well, and the danger that it illustrates in that. I, th- I think what we're we're all sort of getting at is, you know, a- as he finds his purpose, that's when he starts to have that identity uh, that that we all recognize as Joker. And it's uh, I take it as a straight up commentary on the fact that if you don't help those who need help, if you don't look after your fellow citizen, your 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 brother, your sister, you know, the people we're all a society. We all got to support each other. And if you leave it open, 
then that sense of purpose is going to come from somewhere you don't want it to because that whole upswelling, that whole rage that's simmering in Gotham finds purpose in Arthur, even though Ur- Arthur doesn't have a purpose outside of just surviving. But then at the end is where he embraces, okay, you gave me this purpose, then I shall accept it. And it it's, again, a case of if just somebody had helped him i mean like and that's that's the whole thing about like wanting to give him a hug and wanting to cry for him through so much of this movie about and also be angry at the people around him you know why why are you just shrugging this off and i think that's such a it's a question that i'm used to films asking through time and it's nice to see a film ask that question again about why aren't you doing something? Why aren't we all doing something to help people who need help? Yep. I, that's the number one thing I took from this movie. It's like we were on the same brainwave. Because <laughs> um, it, it does. It feels like exactly what Joker himself says when he is on the show was, uh, you walked right by me every day. And it, nobody cared and I mean, even his own mom, it's like it breaks your heart when she says, well, don't you need to be funny to be a comedian? And you're just like, wow. Like, so he doesn't know who his father is. He feels like his mother doesn't really care about him. He doesn't, you know, he gets fired from his job. He gets beaten up by all these different guys and bullied. It's like he just does has nowhere to turn. And then it's even more sad, too, when you think he finally has a girlfriend and then all of that was a delusion. Yeah. So it gets to where you're even just wondering which parts of this were a delusion and which were not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I was, was thinking is, um, you know, the way in which all of this plays together and, you know, it's, it's like, it's like the Bermuda triangle of awfulness, you know, like it, it just can't get any worse. Like everything goes wrong for him and John, when you were talking about this idea of like that society gave him a purpose by doing all these things to him and and not being there to take care of him, and you know, I just I think it's a perfect example, and it's it's one that I think this movie just taps into, and it doesn't have to. It look, you could go politically with the movie, you know, now, but I think the movie is meta in the sense that historically, look at what happens when enough people are downtrodden and um you know treated like dirt and you know i mean from the french revolution to what happens in germany in the 20s and the 30s to i mean this is this is all throughout history of of you know the uh, uh, you could even go to the fall of rome the decadence of rome and and the overturning uh, you know, the slave revolts you have, you know, so um, that's where the stories of like Spartacus come from, you know, it's it, so what I think is, is this this movie is 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 putting it in a context that's a little bit easier for us to do than say a historical epic or just, you know, watching another movie about Nazis. But it's driving home a, a very important point that you cannot continually disregard people uh, and treat them like dirt and and treat them like animals and then not expect them to become kind of like animals and 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 lash out in a way because they have no other 
recourse. And and I think the the danger that we get there, and, and that's what we see at the very end of the movie where you know Joker and his actions, you know, he's become the anti-hero of Gotham. Uh, because it's given the people a voice that they didn't think they had before, but it's the wrong voice. Right. I, I mean, you know, the, the whole, you know, chicken and the egg thing there, you know, again, like they turned him into a symbol when he didn't even want to be one. And that wasn't his, right. that wasn't yeah. his goal. But there's also um, just a really um, sort of interesting aspect where I think that the decision to set it in a very seeming New York, early 80s New York is historic. Oh, yeah. Well, historically, you look at stuff like uh, the Son of Sam killings, right? Or the Zodiac killings, like all of this stuff that Mindhunter is dealing with, right? Is this explores that same territory. Why did Charles Manson become Charles Manson? Why did Berkowitz become the Son of Sam? What is it about these people that somebody could have seen or stepped in or seen a warning sign and pulled them off the streets. But at the same time, you see this world that existed. I mean, New York in the seventies and early eighties was a nightmare, you know, all the way up until the nineties, New York was not the, the, the candy colored Mecca in times square that it is now sort of thing. And so this is, Mm -hmm. this is so pulled from an actual real world that I think it's very clear uh, just the garbage strike in and of itself that sort of kicks things off with our news reports shows how the very basic functions, this city that exists, this Gotham can't even collect the garbage for people. How can we expect this Gotham to take care of people who need serious help? They can't even clean up the garbage. They can't control the rats. They can't control anything. And so it becomes this, I think, a really scathing indictment of the fact that you can't rely on a bunch of people, you know, w- wealthy technocrats and stuff like that. You got to be on the ground and, you know, getting back to Arthur's coworker who, instead of saying, Hey, I'm sorry to hear what happened. You know, do you need help? Is there something I can do? Gives him a gun and tells him not to take anything from anybody. And Arthur even says, I'm not supposed to have this. And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. Arthur knows in that moment, no, 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 this is not a good thing to do. And so I I think that there's such a, I ponder sometimes whether some of the reaction to the film is because it makes everybody uncomfortable with what it's saying. Uh, You know, it can be very comforting to go into a movie that confirms what you think about the cause and effect of things. But when you're also caught up in that statement and you can't just point at somebody else and say, see, they're bad. Like, it's sort of the thing, and I apologize for rambling, but it's sort of the thing that I've always harped on about the Truman Show is I think the big failure of that movie was that it created an audience that was separate from the one watching the movie because it allowed everybody in the audience to point at that audience and say, well, I'm not that bad. Whereas Joker is a movie that says, you're all still failing. Everybody in this theater watching this, you're just as guilty as the people you want to condemn in here. And I think that's a very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable thing for everyone. And I was thinking about this as you were talking. You know, I live here in the Northwest, and a lot of the things that 
we're dealing with in in cities like Portland and Seattle, and, and you know you can go all the way down to San Francisco, um, and the homeless problems, the drug problems, you know, a lot of these things feel like some of the things you see in this movie, you know, just this these cities that are just rampant with, you know, and and they're they're. I hate to say it, but I'm just kind of waiting for something like this to happen somewhere. Mm. Um, and and be, because of what we're creating, what we're allowing to be created. In fact, it reminds me of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine and, and when they go back in time and um, they're in the sanctuaries, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole idea of that we just put them in uh, an enclosed area because we didn't want to deal with it. And, and I just, you know, we can't not deal with things. And I think what this the characterization of the Joker here, but you know, before he goes full on crazy allows us to be able to actually see, I think the ways in which we are truly failing people that are like this by not calling things mental illness, but also by not helping people deal with their mental illness. Um, these people can't help themselves, right? Mm-hmm. By themselves. And, and it's okay to need other people, um, and yet we're just failing. And I think, you know, like you said, John, I would say um, Arthur shows us the man in the mirror, and it's it's you know, uh, it's a lot worse than what Michael Jackson saw. You know, like in the sense, like he looked at the man in the mirror, and he's like he wanted to make a change, but this just leaves us. I think in many ways. It, you look at Arthur in the looking in the mirror, wondering who he is. Is he really even alive? Is he a person? You know, does anybody care about him? You know, um, and the movie a- is asking those same questions too. You know, as Arthur looks in the mirror, it's asking us to look in the mirror and say, "Who are you as a society?" Mm-hmm. Like, and it's 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 a very uncomfortable discussion, and I think. One of the best ways it does that is the way that it tells his story. Chris, you pointed this out. Uh, it's really smart. You wonder, because we see the world through his eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get wrapped up in his delusions, not necessarily knowing their delusions until they're shown to be delusions. Uh, and so I think um, that was one of the smartest things the movie does is that I've heard some people say the movie kind of rambles around at the beginning but i actually think it makes more sense when you realize it does that because we've been seeing the world through a man's eyes who can't quite determine what's real and what's not really yes absolutely and and that's why i think it makes it so uncomfortable when he walks into that girl's apartment and Mm -hmm. sits down and you're thinking at first it's him looking at his own childhood things possibly. And then you realize that's not his apartment. Yeah. And that's not even his girlfriend. She doesn't know why he's in there. And and, and you're suddenly going, Oh my God, none of that was real. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying, Matt. It's like, finally the curtain was pulled back and you're realizing that it's, a troubled person who's trying to figure out what's real and what's not and deal with all of the hurt that's being caused to him. Um, And then also having these issues of confusion and anger and, 
it's just all piling on top of each other, making him become what he does and not having anyone reach out and help him. And I want to add too. I think something that um, kind of to piggyback on what you were saying, John, about how these characters um, in real life become who they are, like cult leaders or whatever. Um, it's talking about, I think, that danger of the group think mm-hmm. as well. And like, you know, times were already bad and people were looking for someone to follow and they hated um the Wayne family. So they naturally ended up looking at Arthur. Then the more they saw him as their hero, mm-hmm. even though it was not a good person and not um, the kind of way that you should go, you know, in the good versus evil kind of thing. Um, and it's exactly what you said, you know, like that he wasn't looking to become someone's hero or mascot, but then he accepted it because someone finally accepted him yeah and i and i think that there's also a very very i mean i think it's fairly blatant uh but you know and maybe a little on the nose but when i think the last moment in the movie where i just really felt sick to my stomach like wanting to cry for him was when you know murray franklin starts playing his clip and i mean you we all know about viral sensations we know about you know the the memes and all of that stuff and how vicious we are on the internet as a whole and how quick to judge and here's arthur an already broken man so many questions still but still at that point still trying still trying he might have his delusions but he's still there's still some part of him that's trying to hold on and be like no 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 i know the person i should be even though it's not right you know uh what's going on and everything like that that moment that somebody chooses to mock and belittle a stranger just for the sake of some laughs i mean that's a really uncomfortable sort of thing too because there you know there's such a tendency to go beyond comedy like it, it would have been one thing you you would think just to play that beginning part of Arthur's, you know, act on on TV and Murray to say, oh, you know, ha, ah, you know, keep trying. You know, you're not quite there yet. That's one thing. But to keep going and keep hammering at it and turn him into the cruelest sort of punchline. And you just see that moment in Joaquin Phoenix's face where he suddenly realizes. Like, that's the moment that jars him into reality he can't imagine that club date that he up to that moment had viewed as a triumphant moment in his stand-up career all of a sudden that's stripped away from him and so these these minor seeming cruelties have tremendous impact you you know that that old saying mm-hmm. you never know what somebody else is going through and it's just it's a, it's a very you know this this film is filled with challenging difficult moments like that you know this we would talk about this kind of idea of the movie being a mirror for our society and and one of the ways that i thought that that was most um challenging was when arthur challenges society on television as joker by saying that and accusing them of that you know that there's this group that chooses what's funny the way it's the same way that it chooses what's right and wrong 
And it plays into exactly what you were talking about there, John, of this idea that why is it okay for us to mock and berate people in that way? You know, we're not talking about like a a comedy sketch, right? You know, an actual comedy sketch. Uh, you know, uh, we're we're talking about taking an completely unknown stranger and just laying him out verbally and emotionally and 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 mentally especially these days online mm-hmm. and i thought it was so damning the what he said because in that he's rightly pointed to our, our society which is you choose what's funny the same way you choose what's right and wrong because there's no standard other than what the majority says the standard is mm-hmm. and that standard changes all the time and therefore, what good really is right and wrong if there's really truly no standard? Which feeds right into that whole thing that the majoritarianism is what creates Joker at the end and gives him that purpose. Because now the pendulum has swung and the majority is now saying, yeah, this is this is what we back. This is the type of reaction we back. And so when you have a fickle, you know, uh, the crowd is fickle, brother, you know, as the famous line goes, like that's, um, you know, that's in a sense, an inevitable outcome of, you know, sort of like a mob rule mentality like that. And it, you know, that that's, are you not entertained? Right. (laughs) Exactly. As Hey, you know, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix was the emperor in that situation. So it's come full circle. (laughs) It's so great. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you both too something that had just been on my mind also is it, of course, you can't get away from the fact that the whole discussion of what's funny and what's not mm. when you're dealing with this movie and um, definitely in the way that they're portraying his laughter as he has a genuine medical condition after a head injury. Um, so... I'm just curious how both of you felt about the scene in particular toward the beginning where he's meeting with the counselor and it's just a sort of like a monologue, but it's just of him laughing and it just made me really uncomfortable. And I feel like that's kind of something else they were trying to intertwine with this movie is what's funny to him may not be what's funny to the rest of the world or what anyone would consider Ha ha funny. Yeah. And there's there's that interesting moment where the cops are questioning him at the hospital and they ask, is that real? Is this true or is that part of your act? And he says, what do you think? And he walks off. And like, that's the first moment where I think you start seeing him, you know, as he starts going down the darker path, almost seeming to have a control over it. Like I, that opening scene, I agree with you, was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but then made it sympathetic as you learned more about it, how he couldn't, he really couldn't help himself sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But then at the end, he seems to have it under control. And so in that final interview with the, you know, the other uh, psych worker said, you know, I just thought of a joke and he, his line, his last line to her is you wouldn't get it. And it's like, so it's that sort of thing where, you know, I, I liked the fact that they played with it a little bit. I accept that it was a real condition, but was mm-hmm. it a an uncontrollable condition 
sort of thing? Was it a, a an indicator that they could have misdiagnosed or something like that? But I, I, I really thought mm-hmm. it was very, very effective. I think that in another performer, it might not have worked as well. But I think that Joaquin Phoenix did such an admirable job with it um, in making it so unnerving that, you know, because there, there, there are those scenes where, you know, he's trying to control it and he can't. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he looked like on the bus where he's like, you can, his face looks like he's crying, but he's laughing at the same time. And it's just sort of, yeah, I I know I've rambled, sorry, but all that to say, I agree with you. It It was an incredibly unnerving thing. And I think a brilliant way to start, uh, start out the movie to, to leave you off kilter. Uh, yeah. as it were. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would say the first time that I ended up seeing the movie, it le- it just left me so completely uncomfortable. But I think it, it's supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, th- this movie is not meant to be one that you go in. And this is, uh, this is the thing, right? We, we have talked about comic book movies for the last 10 years if the, as if they're only one thing mm-hmm. because it has to be the Marvel formula. It's why everybody poo-pooed Zack Snyder's vision and everything and, and why those didn't work for people. And I think this absolutely shows that that these movies can be so much more if put in the right hands and you tell the right story. Because this movie is doing something I think is actually important and actually has something to say. And yes, it's not going to leave you laughing um, in the way that you would at, you know, Tony Stark's latest quip. It's going to leave you uncomfortable and you should be uncomfortable with your uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because that's the point of the film. And and, and I I really appreciate that this movie doesn't pull back any punches. And and what I think is incredible about this movie is, you know, yes, it is a hard rated R, but I think the rated R-ness is, is not so much for the violence, which when I compare it to like violence you'd see on uh, Game of Thrones or something, this really isn't that violent. Right. But it is the psychological violence with it, which is happening, which is so scary, I think, that... Um, and leaves us so uncomfortable because it actually feels very real. And and I think what they do is they allow us to have a Joker. Like you see this, the, the Joker in the comics. This is the type of person that can pull off all that stuff and laugh at it because mm-hmm. he does think it's funny. Yes, I. Yeah. Uh, to I mean two things. One uh, to speak to the violence thing. I, uh, as anybody knows, I'm I'm a slasher movie fan. Right. I've seen it all. I all the way from, you know, Saw three, which is where I tapped out on that series down to the originator with Halloween or or even just recently finally saw Black Christmas, which is sort of the the birth of the uh, the slasher genre. Uh, well, you know, sort of anyway, anyway, before I go down that rabbit hole, the, the point is, I've seen a lot of on screen violence and very rarely does it unnerve me as badly as Joker did because the violence is very jarring and it's not just realistic, but it's intensely personal and personal violence yeah. is yep. the worst. Like I can go and I can watch, you know, uh, 
Braveheart where, you know, it's hundreds of guys hacking at each other. And it's like, oh, hey, that looks really real. Oh, wow, that guy took a shot to the head. That's amazing. Something like this when he freaks out in his apartment and kills the coworker who gave him the gun. I, you, you can ask the guy that was there with me. I turned away from the screen. I couldn't look. I could not look because it was so personal that it was it, it it's a rare thing now to see a movie that I, I can't find another word. It's not quite the word I'm looking for, but tastefully makes me that unnerved. Right? It's not it's not a oh, we could make it look like a real brain sort of thing. It was just a oh, I believe this is really happening. I can't watch this sort of thing. So that's mm-hmm. that I think is is a testament to the artistry. But to sort of follow up on a point that that you were making, Matt, I am about to make probably my one of my most controversial statements uh, of the year. So here's a treat, everybody. But it it continues to blow my mind that in the same year that I got the uh, candy colored confection of Avengers Endgame. I got this and they're both considered in the comic book genre is so incredibly difficult to reconcile in my brain that these things that that's that's what I think is so triggering so many interesting reactions to Joker is if you go into this expecting a quote unquote comic book movie. Wow, are you really going to be disappointed? You know, like it's, you know, you could even point to Aquaman. Aquaman's a bunch of, you know, colorful spectacle and, you know, Endgame and, and, and all of these things that, that come out. There's there's a certain color palette. There's a certain pacing. There's a certain lightness to it. And this completely eschews all of that. And the fact that it occurred, this, this is the worst case of whiplash um, that I've had since Hugh Jackman was in Logan and Greatest Showman in the same year. And I looked at that mm. and said, how could he do? How? How is he in both of those movies? Like, this is that type of reaction is how did this come to be? 2019 is weird, man. Really weird. No, I'm on board with you. Exactly. Uh, I think that you have a perfect point in saying, you know, that I can't believe those two things have come out in the same year because I didn't even realize they were both this year. Um, But I do feel like it's um, a good movie in the sense that it does leave you uncomfortable because it makes you question things and question yourself. Um, And I think that I guess if you could take any kind of positive from it, I would say it would remind you to do things differently and to try and help people that you see are having a, a mental crisis or um, you think seem a little off kilter and maybe need some help um, rather than just passing people by. Um, but I think that it too, it kind of, when we were talking about like the, the whole aspect of his name being Joker and having the uncomfortable laugh and everything, it reminded me of um, why dark humor could appeal to people sometimes. Mm. Um, and that, in a different way, I guess, like the way that I've often dealt with uncomfortable situations in my own life is with dark humor, because I had to have some way to make it better. So joking about it helped. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, 
he was insane and did horrible things. And I'm not equating myself to anything like that. But I am saying that I understand how humor could help people get through a difficult situation. Yeah. What you guys are talking about was just making me think about this whole idea of, you know, um, you know, I feel like in this movie, it takes a village to raise a villain like this. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. and what we, you know, it takes a villain, village, they say, to raise a child. But here, we create a villain because of an adopted mother who allows her child to be abused by the men in her life. Um, We, somebody, she's somebody who doesn't even believe in her son, um, puts him down, you know, like, don't you have to be funny? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a hurtful, Mm -hmm. hurtful line. A system that doesn't care about him, it closes down, um, and you think about the system that would even give him back to her in, in the first place. Like th- it is astounding the way that everything has failed him from whoever his birth parents were, um, uh, to the, the just complete a-holes her, her, you know, his mother dated that just abused him. The, the 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 just animalness of 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 man um and it is disturbing on every level and i think that's the thing that i really um appreciated about this because you know look we we need to be able to destigmatize the fact that somebody has mental illness but we we also need to treat it as such and to help those in that, and to see what causes that. I mean, there's so many factors here that have led to him being like this, and it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it takes a village, guys, and and this is the village of evil, and who wants to grow up in that? Well, even setting aside the, the parental stuff, uh, you know, about Thomas Wayne, I will always... Uh, have that scene where the, you know Arthur confronts him in the bathroom, and Thomas Wayne's immediate. What, what do you want from me? What do you want? Money? What do you want? And Arthur says, "Just a little empathy, some warmth, a hug." Right? Yep. Like it's it's such a basic thing, and Thomas Wayne is representative of everyone, all of us who can't do that, who won't do that. No, you know, I hey, but I. Why should I feel bad for you? Or, you know, hey, we all got troubles. We all, and it's it's that it's the fact that Arthur calls it out so specifically that all he wants is some human emotion shown to him. Right? It won't fix him. It won't make those things end, but it's a step toward getting him to where he needs to be to get help, to be safe, and to keep those around him safe. So, um, so, uh. As we were recording, it the Joker struck Gotham, and uh, John is now joining us um, via his phone as the power has gone out in his section of Gotham, so you can blame the Joker. But he wanted to be able to finish the show uh, because, I, John, I really wanted to talk about this idea. Uh, you mentioned Thomas Wayne and that whole scene. Um, and I feel like he's been kind of a lightning rod for this movie. So I just wanted to open up t- for you and Christy first. 
what did you guys think about his inclusion of the movie in the movie um and and how he you know kind of plays into it and and what he ends up representing uh well i mean i yeah uh sorry <laughs> um well i definitely think that uh thomas wayne's inclusion what i consider that works really really well about it is it is the um uh, the the connective tissue that allows this to exist as part of a quote unquote comic book movie universe. But his characterization is so antithetical to that sort of uh, perception of Thomas Wayne, especially the post Christopher Nolan, Thomas Wayne that's been accepted. Um, and Thomas Wayne is, he's been traditionally, um, you know, uh, shown throughout, you know, the materials and everything on the whole, that um, I think it, it makes him work really as a, a very effective uh, representation of the system which has failed, as well as the people who have failed in the sense that, you know, th that, that question of what is your individual responsibility when you achieve a high level of success? you know, are you, you know, wh where is your sense of responsibility to help those who are less fortunate? And so I think he works as a very effective, um, you know, I, as we've been saying, like everybody has the finger pointed at them. And I think that he's a terrific um, representation of that sort of institutional uh, and personal failure uh, that, that, that contributes so much to Arthur's life. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have said it better. <laughs> I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head, John, with saying that he represents everything that's failed people like Arthur who need help. Um, and that he has this like celebrity mentality even about himself of, oh, what do you want, an autograph or money or whatever? Um, and looking down upon people that don't have what he has and calling them clowns which then leads to this whole protest and the violence and then Arthur becoming their leader and everything. Um, it's sort of a, even more cements this is a tragedy because it's like he's uh, Thomas Wayne is, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everything that he's saying he wants to help, he ends up causing to get worse. Yeah. This is the, uh, you know, you mentioned it, Chrissy. The thing I love about Thomas Wayne is that I felt like, um, he kind of represents both sides of the aisle. Um, he, he kind of feels like um, somebody from the left, somebody from the right, and you kind of put him together. Um, the fact that he calls people clowns just reminded me of the deplorables line, but then other actions of his sound like something that might just, you know, come from somebody who's our president right now. So, like, it, it he he's not a one-for-one, one, but like you said, John, I feel like he's the representation of the institutions that have become so calloused to the people that they're supposed to serve. And, you know, and in many ways, too, you know, he's, he's that person who's made it in society, and he's so out of touch with where other people are and he can't find that sympathy you know he might not be able to have empathy but he can't even find the sympathy for people and totally become so self-focused and forgotten how to help people and his solution is that he will save them instead of being there to help 
Um, and, and, and the difference is, is that savior complex where you feel like, oh, they can't do it themselves. So I'll have to save them instead of coming alongside somebody and actually being there to help them, which mm-hmm. is that lack of humanity and that lack of, like John, you were mentioning that lack of compassion. And, and I thought that was the thing that, um, it, by including Thomas Wayne in this and, and kind of making him this character, um, you know, I think it's a nice twist on the fact that, you know, Thomas Wayne's not really an awful guy. He's just somebody who's out of touch. Um, because, as, again, seeing the movie a second time, there's that moment where, you know, uh, he says, stay away from my son. And in this conversation, I got a little bit more of that fear for him for Bruce than it just being about trying to throw this guy off, that that there was that there as well. So it's like, he's not awful. He just lost the ability to have sympathy for people that are different than him. And that's the biggest problem. Uh, and I think it creates a, um, it's another one of those places where this movie just makes you sad because we are kind of surrounded by that. Mm-hmm. So um, also, I mean, gosh, how interesting is it that in some ways he's responsible for creating the city and the world that creates his son being Batman? And in many ways, I felt like this movie, you know, Thomas Wayne kind of being this father figure represents the sins of a father because this whole movie seems to also be about the lack of good men and role models and father figures in boys lives specifically like we can see that play out in arthur there's been nobody there for them to teach him what it means to be a man to help him understand to help him um and there have and there's a lack of good men everywhere like you mentioned john his friend who gives him the gun you know that's not that's not being a good friend that's not being a good man to another man like it's just mm-hmm. it's it, it's astounding, but again, it's another mirror that we're being shown. The thing that's sad, too, is there is one good man, but all of it, it gets overshadowed by all of these other g- bad men. It's his coworker that was a little person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it is nice that they show that Joker spares him after he attacks the other guy, because it's like it, he says, you're the one person that was always nice to me. Yeah, and that actually picks up a thread that uh, they later worked into uh, even Hannibal Lecter's character, where uh, the, uh, I forget the guard's name, who talks about him in Hannibal and says that Hannibal only went after people he considered what he called free-range rude. So they introduced this semi-nobility to Hannibal Lecter that if you weren't an awful person, he he would probably pass you by, which of course doesn't stay consistent with that character, but that's beside the point. But like Chrissy, to your point, the fact that Joker Joker has some sort of recognition of what a good person is, even though he can't get to that point, I think is is really, really interesting um, in that scene. And to go back to to your point, Matt, about Batman now exists in the world. He's Basically, if you if you take this and you say, okay, well, this is also by the end of it, a Batman origin story, 
you do in fact now have a very interesting take on the Batman character where instead of Batman being this, this uh, savior who's trying to correct the city that took his parents from him, he is in fact trying to cre- uh, correct the very problems that were created by people like his family. So it, I think that actually winds up taking Batman in a very, very interesting personal direction where he has a very personal stake in trying to help Gotham because in a sense it's, you know, his family is partially responsible for what has happened to Gotham. And I think that's a really interesting thread to follow. Will they ever, I don't know. They could, I mean, I have a theory that maybe this uh, Matt Reeves Batman movie might tie in that way. They might find a way to, to pursue that, but I don't think it's necessary because again, the fact that it's the Waynes, it doesn't need to be the Batman Bruce Wayne that you're encountering. You can actually just take that scene at, uh, you know, when his parents are murdered more as the fact that you have all of these adults on every side and who's left with the pain and the aftermath is always the children. You know, the, the, the supposed adults in society are creating these problems and it's always the kids that are left alone and scared. And then they themselves are left without their, you know, that their, their father figures or their mother figures or anybody else to lead them. And so how do you break the cycle of Mm -hmm. all of these things? It's so funny because, um, one, I think you saying that john it's it's a hundred percent right that you know uh, this this movie again it's a mirror and one of the things that it does uncomfortably is it reminds us that all of the problems that we've pushed off for generations after generation after generation are coming back to haunt us it reminds me so much of the patriot at the beginning where he says you know i've long feared my sins would come back to haunt me and the price would be more than i could bear and yet it's not it's the parents who have been pushing those sins off on the children for years and years and decades and generations and we're seeing the fruition of those sins come to bear in the world in which we live um so i i and and it's it, like you said john it's always the kids who end up having to pick up the mess that their parents have left and, you know, I would say for the last few generations, I feel like it's just gotten worse and worse with the messes. Um, people unwilling to do what is difficult now because they want immediacy then. Um, and so I will say the other thing that I loved about this, honestly, is I felt like I honestly felt like this is the Joker that made uh, more sense to go with um, uh, Ben Affleck's Batman. Like. Uh, when just thinking of, of how angry he is, you know, like that's the Batman that I see having gone up against the Joker, you know, time after time, having killed a Robin, you know, like, the, um, yeah, I just felt that that like that connected there, too. Um, so, yeah, they could d- definitely do this with Matt Reeves if they wanted to. Um, I don't know if they will. And they, like you said, John, there's absolutely no reason you don't have to. So. And if they never do, I'm okay with it. So, um, I I guess I feel like uh, you know we could keep talking about the movie. There's so much more that we could say about the movie, 
but I do think we should just go ahead and and uh, rate it and have the conversations with everybody else on, online to see what they think. So, Christy, where are you with Joker? Uh, I still stand by what I said at the beginning that I, I feel like this movie was interesting and had all of these different discussion points to explore um, and that it wasn't intended to be a enjoyable movie as much as it was to make you think and to question and to feel uncomfortable intentionally uh, that it was supposed to be a tragedy. Um, So I do think that it was a good movie, um, well made, and that it did make me think and obviously all of us. Um, So I give it a four out of five. um, And I, I feel like it was really great for having a lot of serious subject matter to discuss in the sense of like mental health, um, especially as someone myself who um, has struggled with anxiety and depression um, along with chronic illness. It doesn't make any of those things easy. Um, so I, I understand where people are coming from. If you have uh, chemical imbalance or mental illness or whatever, and that there are people that um, should be there to empathize with you. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, I, there, this is the second time this year where, uh, a film has made me feel, uh, alive with the possibility of what, what film can achieve and the type of emotional reaction it can get for me. I, I give it a five, um, just because there, I, I was spellbound the entire time and I was challenged and I was, made to feel uncomfortable for my own shortcomings in terms of how I approach certain problems and uh, certain questions. And, um, you know, to, to your point, Christy, I like if, even if somebody has not gone through those things on their own, it's almost invariably true that we've all known somebody who's had challenges like this. And that, this movie, if anything, feels like a call to action to go out and help them and reach out to them and be better people ourselves. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is a film that's going to stick with me for a very, very long time. You know, what, something we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I, I just want to mention here as I'm, I'm rating the film, like this movie is incredibly well made. Mm-hmm. Um you know, this is like an art house type film, which I think is fantastic. Also, um, we mentioned it, uh, but I gotta say, if Joaquin Phoenix doesn't get at least an Oscar nomination, it's a travesty because this movie only works because of how good his performance is. Oh, yeah. Like, this movie is what it is because Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in it. And so. Putting all that together, um, you know, I saw it the first time. It was a 4.5, and I'm with you, John. I bumped it up to a 5 because I just, this this movie is, I would say, absolutely the best movie I've seen this year. Um, it's it's just, um, it's just incredible in that way. And, and like you said, Christy, this isn't a movie that's meant to make you feel good. It's intentionally meant to make you squirm and to be uncomfortable. And I appreciate that that um, Todd Phillips doesn't pull any punches here and really allows the crown 
Prince of Gotham to be the worst comic book villain that he actually is, right? Like, this is, when we think about who Joker is, he's somebody that laughs at other people's death and thinks it's funny. And and so this is what we get. And so I, I just, I'm, I, it's not like I, I, and it's what's weird, it's like, it's a an incredible movie, but it's not like I love this movie in the sense of like, oh, that was, you know, like, it's a totally different thing. But it's kind of the same way I think of like, I hate to say this, but, you know, Schindler's List. It's a five-star movie, but it's not one that I come out of like really, you know, good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's that type of thing. It's it's giving us a, a something to think about, and and this is what, like you said, John, this is what film can do. So I'm really thankful uh, that we got a, you know a chance to talk about it. Um, I just want to do real quick, it, Chrissy uh, and and uh, have, and I have John have been doing a thing we call recommendations, um, and uh, it's where we just recommend something that we've either been watching or reading or listening to recently uh, to uh, the the uh, listeners. Uh, and so, Chrissy, I'm wondering um, what you're going to recommend this week. I've got an interesting one this week, uh, especially because uh, speaking of listening to, other than doing podcasting, I listen to podcasts. <laughs> and uh, one that I really like that I highly recommend uh, is called Up and Vanished. Uh, it's actually a true crime series about an unsolved case in my home state of Georgia uh, about a missing woman. So it's uh, it's fascinating because it's actually following a real unsolved case. It's not just like a drama. Um and you feel like it's getting towards some kind of actual resolution. So I, I highly suggest it. Awesome. Uh, John, is there anything that you can think of that you would like to recommend to everyone? You know what? I will recommend uh, something I just watched on Amazon Prime on a lark because it's a, uh, a 1980s cultural touchstone that I'd heard of for many, many years, but never seen. Um, and it is a midnight movie. If ever there was one, it is a movie called Chud. <laughs> Uh, I just saw that on your letterbox. <laughs> is that cannibalistic human yep. underground dwellers? Not, <laughs> yeah, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, yes. And it is um, a delightfully campy uh, and cheesy attempt at a horror movie from 1984. Um, it's one of those things where if it weren't for the language, I could show this to my kids, even though it's a horror movie. It is jam packed with actors who were either ascendant or soon to be ascendant. Uh, John Hurd, Daniel Stern, John Goodman in a very early role. Um, there are a ton of actors in it where you look at them and you say, oh, oh, him. Oh, her. Oh, I know that person. And it is so much fun to watch because it is not particularly good. It is perfect for the Halloween season to sit down and watch a horror movie where the monsters are on the level of the Gorn from the original Star Trek series. <laughs> and at the same time, you have this powerhouse acting talent in the movie all trying to sell it to you. And so I think it's a fascinating watch if you can find it on mm, Amazon Prime. Great, okay. Man. 
So um, I checked out something on Netflix, so you know everybody can check that out uh, for free there on Netflix, if you're a Netflix subscriber, that is. Uh, and it's called The Highwaymen, and it is the story of Frank Hammer uh, and uh, Manny Galt, who are the former Texas Rangers who were commissioned to put down Bonnie and Clyde. And it is fantastic. It's got Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson in it, uh, along with, you know, other great character actors like William Sadler. I mean, it's just it's fantastic people in this movie. It's an excellent film um, because, you know, it's telling that Bonnie and Clyde story, but from a, the perspective of the people who actually hunted them down. Um, and it was just so good. I was riveted the whole time. I love those type of old uh, dramas like that. And it's really well made. Uh, Kevin Costner and um, Woody Harrelson are really good together, too. So uh, just uh, very much enjoy it. And again, it's on Netflix, so everybody can check it out. So, uh, yeah, those are our recommendations for the week. And uh, Christy, if anybody wants to be able to you know, find you online and catch up with you and talk maybe some more Joker or see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. And then also, uh, in addition to the 602 Club, I do a couple of other podcasts. Uh, I do a show once a month uh, with five other women from around the world called Planet Leia on the Fanta Tracks Network. Uh, and then I also do a five-minute segment called Fashion in Five about men's and women's Star Wars fashion on the Star Wars Report. And uh, last but not least, I do a show with my friend Teresa called Sabres and Spells, where we talk about uh, everything geeky under the sun from Stranger Things to Harry Potter to a million other things. So uh, follow along with me there. And John, where can everybody find you? I am Castle Junkie on your social network of choice, more active than I should be on Twitter, uh, peeking around on Instagram uh, during the month of October. And uh, primarily active over on Letterboxd as Kessel Junkie. And you can also hear me over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, co-hosting a show called Retro Perspective, uh, or attempting to at least, uh, with Mike Schindler, where we're going through the movies of 1994. And I am, of course, on a little Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations with a charming lad named Matthew Rushing over on the Nerd Party Network. Wow, charming. Oof. Man, I have so much to live <laughs> yeah. up to now. Um, well, you could find That's me. As good as it's going to get. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, you could find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, and Vero under the name MattRushing02. Um, I'm here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones when we can get a chance. We talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm also on the Nerd Party Network doing another show called Owl Post with Dre Kaufman, and we're doing Harry Potter one chapter at a time. And in that, um, we are now in the Half-Blood Prince. So that's right. We only have, well, pretty much two books to go because we're just at the beginning there. So, uh, And last but not least, I'm doing Cinema Stories with my good friend Courtney, where we talk about films through the ones of faith. So uh, thank you, though, so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.